Hello and welcome back to Out of the Question. This week has been a hell of a week for anyone living in the flood-affected Northern Rivers region of New South Wales. So I thought it was appropriate that I talked to the author, comedian and now Greens candidate for Richmond in Northern New South Wales, Mandy Nolan. All week she's been helping out with the rescue effort in the region, so I was lucky to get her on Zoom for a chat. She's one of the funniest comedians in the country. She's definitely Australia's funniest non-famous comedian. And anyone in the business knows it's foolish to immediately follow her on stage. But becoming a household name's always eluded her. We talk about that here. We talk about growing up under the shadow of domestic violence and how her dad dying meant her life could officially start. And we talk about how the Greens finally convinced her to run. Just quickly, if you want to help out with the victims of the Queensland and New South Wales floods, Google GiveList Queensland and New South Wales floods 2022. That's GiveList Queensland and New South Wales floods 2022. But back to Mandy. I started off by asking her how her fellow workers would describe her. It's so funny. I got a, I got a birthday, like a Mother's Day card from one of my kids when she was only like eight at the time. And she described me like it was one of those things they do at school. I know this has gone from workers, but kids are like my workers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and instead of saying things like caring, kind, all that kind of stuff that most mums get, it said driven. <laughs> like busy. Like, and I went, okay, okay, I get it. Uh, this is going to come up in therapy in years to come. Um, I, I think. Mm, most people perceive me as having a relentless um, energy load, which I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they'd probably describe me as a bit of a know-it-all behind my back. That's behind my back. They go, oh, Mandy, look, I've got a tendency and I have to, I've had to really work on it and I, to think I know the answer. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I always want to be the one that steps in and goes, okay, this is how you do it. We're yeah, going to yeah. get this. You know, this is what you do. Like people talk about, I'm the one, I solve the problems. I make mm. the decisions. Like, cause I cannot bear people not make, you know, those people that won't mm. make decisions. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you want to do? I go, I don't fucking care. Let's just yeah. make a decision. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I would, I think that can come off as controlling and bossy. So I think when you talk about how your friends or your colleagues or your kids would describe you, I think there's what they would say in an obituary or in a, in a eulogy when you're dead. which comes off as she was amazing. She was so compassionate. She always stepped up. She went the extra mile. She was selfless. And then there's what they say to their therapist or their friends when they're pissed, which is she's a controlling bitch. It's all about her way. It's what she wants all the time. She thinks she knows everything. You know, I reckon somewhere in between that I exist. I think the phrase will be a force of nature. That's right. Um, we've just seen what a force of nature looks like. That's right. <laughs> um, so just just quickly, where did you where do you think you get that energy from? I got that energy. I grew up in a little Queensland country town. Um, in a my mum was nineteen when she had me. Oh, wow. I had to get married in a caftan. Uh, <laughs> luckily, they were in fashion back. That was a classic shotgun <laughs> wedding. Um, mm. but they were that, that real working class. Yeah, they weren't even working class because my dad never really worked because he was just wild drinking alcoholic, but he was always bringing home, like you'd wake up and there'd be a guy with one eye on the couch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know, the spare room, there'd be some old 
dude from the park be in our house. My dad was picking up, there were always animals that had been hit by cars. It was always, we, we always had owls and, 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 and magpies that were mangled that he, he would kind of do a bit of a bush mechanic repair on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my dad died when I was six. He was 30 years old and he was a really traumatised man. I think it was that thing where people aren't all one thing. And this is a long answer to the question, I know, but I have to get there from that. So That's when fun. my dad, it was a domestic violence relationship. When my dad drank, he was violent. It was, it was horrendous as a child growing up in that. My mother was really young and sort of became, I guess, immobilised by the trauma of what she was living through. So when my dad died, I kind of saw this. This is weird as an opportunity. Like as a little kid of six years old, as much as I love my dad, I went, oh, my God, that's over. You know, when you've lived in a house where chairs have come through, the doors, you've been locked out and you've slept in the bush where you don't know this person you love to trust them and and then you do and then they betray you and there's this horrendous, terrifying, like you you think you're going to die all the time and then it stops. And I went in my little head, I was a bit Woody Allen because I was a properly traumatised kid, I went, that's it. My life starts now. It's on. Oh, Game wow. on. And I turned to my mother, right? My mum is fucked up because she's just holding on. She's got a six-month-old baby. She's in this tiny country town. She's got no, you know, she's got no way of actually, there were no support services around then at all. So there was no way of actually for her to receive any counselling or, or any any support like that. She just had to go on. So I had to become super functioning. I became the kid that because um, mum was fragile, you know, she became stronger as it went on, but she relied on me, you know, I was her second in charge basically. And often I very often had to take charge. So I was someone from a really young age that learnt that if you want life to go a certain way, sometimes you have to be the one that steps up. And I've been yeah. stepping up since I was a kid, you know, and I, it never occurred to me that you didn't have to. No, 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 other people didn't. So, so you were, so you were six. Your dad? Did you say your dad died in a car accident? Yeah, it was. A, it was a car accident. It was one of those right. classic ones where it was a bit like a, um, you know, when you tell it's kind of weird because I don't have any, and and I guess it's part of being a child of trauma and part of it being a really normalized story for me now. It doesn't, you know, I can tell this story and it it's weird how it doesn't land with any in me it's almost like that part of me is just shut that door is shut out you know and it was my mum that had a huge fight the day he left as usual and my mother said the classic words which she always lived with huge regret she just you know she just screamed if there's such a thing as a god how does he let someone like you live right he never came home and wow. i know wow. <clears throat> so my mum had to live you know you know that you didn't make it happen no you don't want that to be the last thing she said. So it was really hard as a teenager to have a fight with mum and storm off because she'd go, come back, come back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> she was so, she was going like, she couldn't live with another death on her hands. Incredible. Um, and that, so that was, you know, and I, it was weird. I lived in a country town and so outside my bedroom window, I could see into the police, the police station with this big, it's a country town, there's a big paddock where they used to hold all the, um, crash cars when they did the police investigations so from my bedroom window i could see my family car that was all smashed up oh my god i know sitting in there and one thing we did in that neighborhood as kids we used to plan the crash cars and that day i always remember of going down with the kids in the neighborhood and when it's your crash car 
you know, so you're kind of in the, like you're looking around the car and there's that moment you see, like I remember seeing my toy, a few little toys and things that are in your family car and then there's, you know, blood in the back seat, dried, like a dark, it's not like pools of blood, but there's dark where, where there's been impact. And then there's a moment where I just started playing in the car with the other kids and it it weirdly became normalised. So rather than being traumatised by my dad's death, I went, this is my opportunity to make it how I want it to be without, you know, to, to this, it's okay. I could, it starts now. So, um, yeah, so that kind of set up this mindset where like nothing, nothing shit could really happen. Like you go, I, I was a pretty resilient kid. Yeah. I had dealt with hard shit. Like, you know, not getting what you wanted for Christmas was nothing. Yeah. Like, you know, the kind of going like, it, it kind of, it really, you know, I was just lucky in a way. I think part of it was luck that I just happened to have a personality where I'm an optimist mm. and I've got a, I've got a real faith in the human capacity to transform. And I think I had that, I was born with that. Yeah. Well, look, that's one way I would, I, one word we haven't mentioned, which I'd describe you as fearless too. I mean, the idea of going back into that car, that's like going to the lion's den in a way and you survived and so uh, you're right nothing else can hurt you from then on no i'm i'm fearless i'm weirdly there's things i'm fearless in like that but if you stand me on like i'm scared of heights <laughs> yeah. you know i'm neurotic about my children's safety mm -hmm. you know but my sense of my emotional well-being and what i know i can take i i that's where i'm fearless i'm fearless and i'm not fearless everywhere well, but, in comedy <clears throat> particularly, you're fearless, you know. Yeah. It's, it, I just I mean, want to get, I go, get out, get in the car, get home. Yes. <laughs> What's Dave O'Neill say? Just get your, get your packet of chips, get in the car, go home. <laughs> exactly. That's what it is. It's a mission. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, what's the most unhelpful feedback you've received? For me, um, it it's that, that idea that, um, along the way is that you is that sense that you know you'll get over it you know or you'll oh, yeah. you know not to talk about things just to leave it to shut up and you'll get you, know, you don't need to but, and I've always need to talk about things to normalize them for me it's 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 when people sort of try and shut you down from telling the truth or talking about your real story when people go look nobody wants to hear that that's yeah. it's like me telling that story that like I told you about my own life because you're always aware of the burden of your own story. And I think what we've found out in the last few years, in the last year actually having Grace Tame as Australian of the Year, is that I actually think a lot of people have been told growing up that to keep their personal stories to themselves and, and to keep their real experiences to themselves because society and culture don't want to be burdened with the truth. Mm -hmm. and, and I actually think that's what it is. I think. I think the more people, you know, can speak, you know, it, it is the thing about speaking truth to power. When you yeah. do that and you do that confidently and persistently, things will start to shift. And it's amazing. Look at the power of narrative. Like mm. that one girl, Grace Tam, I just find so inspirational. And it's not what I was inspired by. It's not about what happened to her. It's about what happens when 
you keep speaking like every time they tried to take her down she just kept her voice there at and and her story her narrative started to change things it changed people it challenged prime ministers it mm. went far out how can one girl's story disrupt so many people how can it destabilize like this and mm. and i think i think that you know i think i think the fact that when you're told nobody wants to hear about it you know nobody wants to hear what you have to say nobody wants to hear your sad story sort of thing that's a lie mm. you know you know i think i think a whole lot of people want to hear um the truth of other people talking of queensland towns i obviously grew up in one as well and i remember one guy saying to me in my late teens adam your problems are your own <laughs> i remember the what I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics mm. Anonymous is built on listening to other people's problems. You know, it's the great, it's the great healer. Yeah, it's called the human condition. Mm, you know, right. and, and it is. And you know, right, right now, while we're recording this, I'm in northern New South Wales and I'm, well, I didn't get flood affected. Uh, my friends and my community have. So I've been all over the place you know, cleaning up, volunteering, and of you watch the power of community and the power of this. It, it's so, sometimes you give up on people's, you know, you go, do we live in such a narcissistic kind of culture that there is no capacity for change? Do Have, is, have we gone too far? Has the cult of capitalism completely destroyed, you know, our deep moral compass and our sense of what is good and what, what is right? And I hate to say the word right, but you know, deep down, and what's amazing on the ground is you go, oh, my God, people want to be better. People want to be part of a solution. And mm -hmm. people want to be able to reach out and support other people. That is profoundly transformative. You know, there's yeah. a few times I've stood back and just been, you know, had to have a little quiet cry behind my sunglasses because it's so beautiful in this devastation, in the mud, and you just see you see something of exquisite beauty and that is what happens between humans and it's, it, it's so boring and mundane but it's fucking amazing that's why i wanted to speak to you this week because it's been the most traumatic week since mm. i've i've been here that's for sure and and also you know you've decided to run for the greens when did that happen what was the actual what was the instigation they came Major? after me time and time and time again did it's they like in the garden of eden they kept coming, they kept coming and coming. I've, I've, I've been in this community for 30 years and been, um, it's funny because anyone outside of this community really just knows me as a comedian. Mm. But within this, I, I, I come from a strong, um, I have a strong foundation in social justice. One of the things when my mum did start to, you know, recover and as a young woman, she became, you know, my mum worked as a community development worker. She, she worked hard. Um, we were always, I was always brought up the really strong sense of my responsibility to intervene in the, and to take responsibility for the discomfort of others and, and my, and my planet. Like that, that was, I just thought, I thought everybody did. So that, that was, that's at my core foundation. So, you know, at uni, I was in the socialists and I was in the anarchists because they were slightly more fun, but were very disorganized. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I've been very involved in my community here in lots of activism around inappropriate development around, um, I've been very outspoken in um, ending mandatory detention for refugees, in climate actions, in, you know, saying no to CSG. So 
that's that's at the core and and obviously here one of the things i've written about and spoken about really publicly for the last 10 years is the impact in our region of uh, short-term holiday lets and these what the way negative gearing has impacted on turning our homes into commodities as investments so i've been writing about that over and over and i'm very much like being a comedian because i can use a bit of satire you can scream from the sidelines mm. so the greens kept coming going you know would you would you and i thought about it and i went i don't know if i could do this i don't you know i don't i guess part of it is around a sense of your own lack of legitimacy like what do i bring to the space you know i'm a comedian i'm a performer um you know i know i have integrity but i could be pulled down so easily you know it's so much in my past you know it's already out there but you know politics is this is like mm. i don't want to have to defend something i have no need to defend um but i do believe they need to have voices in parliament and in politics that inspire other people from you know across the board just to engage because it's a terrifying place you know it's not an inclusive place and we need we need um we need a diversity of voices if we're ever to have any hope in this country to have a to have a, to have better policy and to have yeah. better conditions so eventually they came to me and they said okay it was just right before you had you had a chance to nominate for candidacy in richmond in my local greens group which i i was a member of the greens but i was just going mm. <laughs> um and then they explained to me why it was important that i ran it's because currently adam bant is in the lower house he's the leader of the greens he sits there. He needs someone else on the crossbench. I'm one of probably maybe five seats across the country that has a really good chance of winning. And if we can get one of us on that crossbench, then we're then we, if Labor get in, we can help form power through through balance of power. And then that's how you stop coal and gas. And I went, oh, you should have said that the first time. <laughs> <laughs> We then had a quick chat about how Northern Rivers residents weren't impressed by Prime Minister Scott Morrison's response and subsequent visit to flood-affected areas. You can't even do disaster well. You've got a party that's all about like creating disasters and getting a photo op done in it, and he fucks it up every time. You know, anyway, that's what we live with, not even doing disaster well. Uh, Mandy, what is the failure you most cherish? Oh, I've got heaps of them. Um, <clears throat> it's really funny when you do that. I'd, I'd say for me, you know, I'm I'm a really talented comic that never made it, you know, and in that sense, I'm really well regarded amongst my peers and amongst everyone. People come up, you know, and I I don't doubt my capacity. I know I'm really good, but something I've had to really learn to do within the comedy industry as a I was kind of ahead of my time. If I was me now and I was thirty. I'd be like Australia's Amy Schumer. Like I know mm. they'd love oh. me, but yeah. I just, I just never, I was never right. I was whatever. I was never there. I was living in a regional area and mm-hmm. until Fiona O'Loughlin came along, they didn't realize you could have someone live in a regional area and still have a career. Um, but in saying that, one of the things I've learned and that in that sense is, is not to measure myself. And so in this one, that sense, you know, if I look at myself in my career and the career path of, of a lot of my colleagues, you know, I failed that. But when I, when I went, okay, I cannot become bitter 
because the minute that bitterness comes in, all that, everything you have is gone. So how do I reinvent that to work for me? How do I make something solid? And I went, I, and that, I kind of embedded myself in my community and I embedded myself in teaching people and, and creating something here that was different. And I went, where, 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 where can I put this? And, and that's led me to do what I'm doing now. Because for me, politics and activism is really, really closely tied with comedy because I think we have a powerful voice and I think it's mm. very underutilised at a large, larger level when people become, you know, comics and there's some of them that do have really strong political voices. But I think, I, I think it's something that we can do. And for me, in a sense, you know, my failure to ever really achieve anything at a national level has meant that I have given something to my community and become part of this community in a way I never would. And there's a there's a connection and sense of responsibility that's not just about me. It's about I'm part of something bigger here. And honestly, it's and that's why I'm doing it, you know, because I, I have this. So for me, you know, when I reframed that, there was a moment where I could have gone, you know, have one of those sookie tantrums when you watch a showcase or something and you go, fucking hell, I'm better than every single one of these people and I'm nothing. Well, not nothing. I don't think I'm nothing, but I'm, I'll just go back to my lack of opportunities. I have opportunities, but not really um, in that level. And then I went, what a horrible person you are. Like, a, like a, <laughs> I'm like an evil witch standing. And I went, don't be that, you know, embrace, support, push forward for others and and innovate and change and speak up and use what you've got in another place and that that's been great for me that that's having a having a purpose for change it really gives you something more than a purpose for a bank balance or a purpose for for anything else like that you know they might you know that's just one of my well I also I guess I failed as a wife as well you know because up to my third marriage and you know five kids three different blokes um, but that's been a huge opportunity as well. You know what we're like as comics. If we didn't fail at stuff, we'd have nothing to talk about. <laughs> that's right. Nobody wants to hear you go on stage and go, oh, my God, my life is so good. Like, you know, like, next. <laughs> that's right. I, like, I wish I'd known you back in the agony days when I had those, those uh, agony shows going because I, like, just didn't know you. Didn't know. No, yeah. no, you just never came into my, into my because orbit. Of course, and, and I was that the... girl at the back going, hey, yeah. Oh, really I'll, I'll yeah. go out there and I'll, I'll go onto the stage and slam it yeah. to 2,000 people. And I'll go, who was that? Which is I gone. know. And that just happened over and over again. And there was a point where I went, <sighs> I went, don't go there. And actually that was really good because I went, the worst thing is, and, and it is worse, is, is that, and I have really amazing people I've known in my life who might have, that resentment, it poisons Mm. what you have and you have to really be careful it, it because that's that's just the luck of the draw it's where you are it's how the yeah. industry is working so and true. you know what it's actually not personal mm. sometimes <laughs> sometimes no, it might be but a lot of times it's not no, it's, it's not just, you know like if you think about you're a panel show producer for the abc and oh. they go okay well we're not we're not flying anyone in we're not going to put up anyone in a hotel so we're just going to use comics exactly. around, around Sydney. And, and you've got so many great people that you're going to use. So in that time, you know, part of that trans was using it was I've taught over 2,000 people mm. um, comedy and, yeah. you know, not all of them are working, 
maybe a small handful are working. Hannah Gadsby was one of them. Really? Um, she went on after she, she, she went, she did her course with me where I live in Northern New South Wales, went on, I think she went to Adelaide after that. And then the routine that, you know, she'd worked on, you know, we'd done through the course, she went on and did it, um, she did it raw and won. And then she just blitzed it. And she was, I mean, she, you know, you, you teach comedy hoping that someone like her walks in. And it's not that, it's just when you know, I went, oh, she's got it. Like, all I had to do was teach a little bit of finessing and technique. And as soon as she had it, she went, yep, got it. And then she was off. And as a teacher, it's quite funny when you watch, it's very humbling because you always hope that your student, you know, will be better than the master, but you you didn't expect it to happen that fucking fast. <laughs> By the way, I, I'm friends with both of you. You're, you're very different, and uh, I, I think you'd very much hold your own. Don't worry about that, Mandy. Yeah, no, um, she's amazing, and I, I, look, yeah. I just think the work she's done is is groundbreaking and phenomenal and and important. Yeah, and totally. I, think, I yeah. think that's really amazing, you know. And for me, doing important work has always been kind of weirdly important to me. So yeah, I don't teach comedy anymore. Um, <laughs> I know just so I can't keep it. You know what? Because after 2,000 plus people, I just couldn't do it anymore. But and what yeah. I, as a woman teaching comedy, though, the people that came to me over all that time was mainly women, um, older people, people with disabilities. I attracted often people um, who didn't feel, who felt intimidated by, by what is often a very white male-dominated industry to step into that. So when I stopped, I've just put actually a course, I've created a course, it's called The Art of Stand-Up, it's online. So it means I can keep teaching without having to, like the knowledge is there in the process to get people through because there's still so many people in regional areas or people that are not comfortable, you know, going into those comedy rooms, you know, or have disabilities, etc. that it gives access. That's what I was really, and for me, that's important to do. Like, What's I was really proud of it. What, what's it? Um, it's called, it's a comedy course called The Art of Stand-Up. I've just, it just, I made it during the pandemic. So it's animated. It's a really funky little course. So it's called The Art of Stand-Up. And so you, you just Google The Art of Stand-Up, Mandy Nolan. Yeah, and you'll right. find it. Okay, all right. Um, question four, oh. second last question. What word or phrase do you most overuse? I hate to do it, but I say like a lot. And I only know that from going like, that's like, like, like. And I know because I've had to listen, I hate listening back to myself. And I'll listen back to myself on various um, kind of platforms. And I can't believe I'm doing what we kind of criticise kids for doing. Like, like. I was like going, oh. I just said like going. See, I did it. But you know, time. you probably, you got, we got what, what age is your kids? 12. 21, 23, 25, or 26, 27. So, so you, you ba they're basically in the like demographic. Yeah, they're like totally in the like demographic. So I, I do tend to say like a little bit too much or, you know, I have to admit when I am pissed off, I can get a little bit, I do say whatever, and that's when I'm really angry. I'm like, whatever. And everyone's like, man, okay. you just said whatever. Be careful, like whatever. That is the most passive aggressive word in, in the English language, isn't it? Because if you know someone, they went, can I come and help you? Go, I was gonna do this and go, whatever. And you're like, oh, you said yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. imagine, I can't wait to be in parliament it's and say, blah, 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 blah. And Mandy Noll, whatever. 
What a motto. And finally, do you have a motto? I don't know if I have a motto, but I have a key, I have a core belief, you know, and that is everything, it's possible. Like my core belief is change is possible. Mm. Absolutely. Because once I don't believe that, there's no point. There's Mm. no point. But that that's my that's my core belief. Um, I hope I'm not wrong. I really do. You know, someone once said to me when I was living in my own domestic violence relationship a long time ago, and someone that was, um, I suppose, you know, many many years, like a couple of decades ago, and a friend said to me who was very good, he said, "You need to bury hope." And I went, "Oh," and that's that hope when you're in a dysfunctional relationship. That it's ever going to get better and i really really fought with that because i'm like how can i if i'm a champion of people's capacity for change if i'm a champion for for my own capacity to change if i'm a champion for the underdog how can i bury hope you know and i think what you need to do is because hope is pointless you need action. Hope is the heroine of change. You know, it's a little pipe dream. And it took me a while to work that out. You need, hope is what you do when you lie there wishing for something but doing nothing about making it happen. I wish my circumstances, I wish this didn't happen. I absolutely believe when I say that, and my real motto is that people are powerful. I think it's a Patti Smith song, actually. People have the power. Don't make me say I've got a terrible voice. Um, but people are, and I do believe we've been absolutely hoodwinked um, into believing that we're powerless. And mm. you don't want people to find out. But the mm. last thing you need when you're in a conservative government is that people actually are powerful and you watch them through the floods, etc. and you see what people, where government, and agencies take so long to mobilise. Community goes, well, I'm an event manager. I know how to manage storeholders. I'll take charge of all the volunteers coming through. Well, I do this and I do that. And the whole thing was done. And you've got Service New South Wales going, does anyone have a trestle table? You just see the enormous capacity of people to collaborate and to cooperate when they have a purpose for a common good. And that's action for change and that is not hope that is the way forward and that's that's what keeps me going thank you so much for tuning into out of the question we'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show and if you have a minute please subscribe via itunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating if you have any questions or comments you can reach me on twitter at adam Zwa. until next time Thanks for joining us.